Welcome to episode 116 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Brian Fitzsimmons. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Brian Fitzsimmons. Brian, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Brian, where where are you from again? We met at the Raise the Bar event, and I and I apologize, but I forget where the, where you're from. I know we're both Eastern time, yeah. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, I'm from Jersey. So you guys are in the playoffs too, right? They're right on. Leafs and, Jer- yeah. and the Devils making it through un- unexpectedly. So congrats to you on that one. You guys took a smack hey. the other night, and so did we. But <laughs> I haven't been uh, watching as actively as I should have. But I mean, it was embarrassing going down two nothing to the Rangers. So I think that was just enough of a kick in the ass that they needed. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you a hockey fan at all, or or not not so much? Honestly, when it comes to like pretty much all sports, I'm an in-person fan. Otherwise, I can't be bothered to watch unless it's the Dallas Cowboys. Then I'll watch. Okay. How, how, yeah. how are you a Cowboys fan being from Jersey? Well, they're America's team, man. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess, I guess, guess that's how it works. Uh, nah, not wrong I mean, with that. In all honesty, I was just brainwashed from birth. My dad was the original front runner when it was like Roger Staubach, Tony Dorsett. And I'm like, I can't really blame you for that. So... Fair enough. Fair enough, man. Well, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself and let people know who you are and, and what it is you do so they have a better understanding of how this the rest of this conversation will, will play out. Absolutely. So pretty much what I do is I train women over 40, preferably or not preferably, but usually moms who are just trying to be better versions of themselves for their kids and be around for their kids' kids. So we cover training, nutrition and everything in between. And also, apparently, today you decided to be a dentist. If I'm not, that too. If I'm not, <laughs> I had give no some context idea on that, that one. <laughs> I had no idea that would ruffle people's feathers. My God! <laughs> but yeah. um, Brian, but Brian I posted did. a. Oh, oh go yeah, ahead. go for it. Tell, tell him. Tell, give him the context. All right. So I was just at my dentist office, and I'm like, uh, like when you're a creator, I'm sure Daniel, you know this too. That like switch never really turns off. You're like, ooh, this could be a good content piece. This could be good. And I'm like, I'll just take a selfie when they're doing the x-rays on me and then I'll figure it out later. So then today I just put together like some random facts about dental health because I remember watching Dan John at Perform Better like years ago talking about how he really prioritizes his dental health. And I'm like, okay. So from that point forward, I started keeping flossers in the car and like he suggested and all this other stuff. And I just put it together and I put it out there and without fail, like my brother and one of my best friends text me, oh, you're a dentist now? <laughs> so <laughs> then I made a response saying like, this is why people don't create because of stupid comments like that. But then literally like right before we hopped on, I saw a comment from Dan John saying, this is awesome. I'm like, all right, mic drop. I'm out. I'm never posting a piece <laughs> of social media ever again. I'm going out on top. <laughs> That's right, man. It's it's actually <laughs> such a good, good point though. And like such a good... Um, such an important piece that people don't really think about that often is is all encompassing health. Like we as fitness professionals are very prone to only talking about you know your workouts and your nutrition and and you know very several of us go into sleep and you know other aspects of health and all this stuff. But like a dental dental health is extremely important. There are plenty of relationships between poor dental health and and heart disease, and we've seen that in the research o- over the years. And so it's just one of those things that. We don't really think about that often, and and I'm sure that many of us are guilty of it. I'm doing way better at it in the past two years, but guilty of it in the past where it's like I'm very much on people about 
go outside, walk every day, drink water, sleep, exercise, do all those things. And I just like couldn't be bothered to floss every day because I was like, ah, well, you know, whatever. Right. But yeah. it matters. And it's a, it's a, it's an all encompassing part. So who am I to say like, oh, you should go out and walk every day. And I can't even bother to floss every day. Right. Like how silly. Yeah. And as coaches, it's like, we can give them all the reps, sets, nutrition advice we want, but if they're not seeing their doctor once a year and they're not getting their de- teeth taken care of, like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, yeah. what's the point? Yeah. There's so, there's so many other things that like we can't do and that, especially online, there's so many things that we just can't see. Online coaching is, is awesome. I think it's fantastic. And one of the better ways to be coached for many, many people, but there are drawbacks to it, right? I can't see someone's every rep and I don't see like their facial expression and like these little things that you pick up on in-person coaching, right? Yeah. And do you have a background in person too? Um, yeah, I, I, I coach in person. I, I'm like half and half right now. Yeah. Um, I, in-person coaching is not the most economical way to go about things unless you're like owning the gym and have people working, you know, all that stuff. But, um, but I love it so much. I don't think I'll ever give it up. I I will, I will always keep it in some, uh, in some capacity. How about yourself? Are you still doing in-person training as well? Yeah. Same here. I got my core group. I got like my one family that I, that I coach, like three of them. I got, um, another guy that I go to right after them. And then I have like one lady I work with over zoom, but then there's like the, the rest of the clientele is online. But re- reason I ask is because like all of us who cut our teeth in person, like that OCD of like switching to online and you're like, I can't see how they're doing this. And you're yeah. just like, can you send me a video? And they never do. Or it's like a video and the camera falls over. It's the weird angle. It's only, you can only see the left side, but not the right side or, or, or something like that. How do you yep. then go about trying to bring that in-person experience online? What's your method of, of, of marrying those two things? Video, 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 and a lot of calls. <laughs> like I, I know everybody does their coaching differently, but like I've been nonstop trying to make mine better and better as time goes on. And I think I finally hit a sweet spot where it's like, every week for the check-in, like instead of like writing it all out, I'll just put the camera on and talk to them like I would face to face and give them feedback. And they seem to love that. And then they also get a weekly call. So I'll hop on with them for like 15 minutes and just chat it up and see what's going on. So you bring a little more personalization to a really not so personal service and it works pretty well, like from what we've been doing so far. Yeah. That personal aspect is a it's a very important yet often missed piece of actual personal training, right? It's not just training. Yep. These are not like, you're not a drill sergeant, like you're training a human being and they're a human first and then they're a trainee second, right? So yeah, that's exactly. awesome. I'm, I'm very much hands-on as well with the calls and whatnot because I just personally, like I don't know a better way to do it. I'm sure that I, I know that there are other people who do it without it and like it works for them and like, and that's great, but that's not how, that's not how I would do it either because I just feel like I need to know that information. I need to know what's going on. I need to know what happened with your dog last weekend. I need to know what happened at the party. Like I just need to know these things so that I can coach you uh, most effectively. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also comes down to knowing your clientele. Like my clientele need a little bit more uh, support, especially in the beginning because a lot of them are coming from square one. They really don't know where to begin or like how to do it because it cracks me up. When I was at a different um, coaching conference, I was at Strong New York. You know which one that is? I've heard of it, yep. Yeah, that was back in October. And this this one trainer guy was like, I think he was asking Don Saladino or Gabrielle Lyon, he's like, how do I get these people to do what I tell them to do? And I'm like here and I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean, man. But then he's like, I tell them to eat veggies and he just doesn't do it. And I'm like, well, that's not really coaching. 
<laughs> like <laughs> us telling people what to do is not coaching. When we get on the phone or when we like go back and forth in the messages and say, this is how we're going to incorporate veggies. We're going to like use this recipe or it like try and throw this into that dish next time or go to this restaurant. That's the coaching. And that's where the real bread and butter is. Yeah. Otherwise it's just yelling instructions. Like, eat less, run more. That it, That's really all it comes down to or move more, if you will, instead of running. But like that's at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to for the most part. But that's not helpful advice because everybody already knows that. People know two plates of food in front of them. They know which one is healthier for the most part. It's just making yep. the choices and like setting up their lifestyle to make that choice, the one that they actually end up making versus making the quote unquote wrong choice and then feeling guilty about it and, and all that stuff. Well, yeah. One thing that um, I has been burning me to, to ask you is how did you begin getting into your niche of moms over 40? And I think the obvious question here is that you are not a mom over 40. So how did you find your way into this? And, and, and why are you so passionate about that demographic of people? Well, see, I actually identify as a 40 year old mom, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Well, my bad. My get, bad. Canceled already. This is going to get flagged. Oh, God. <laughs> but <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I, uh, I was doing personal training while I was trying to be a firefighter. And one of the jobs I could get, I could get my hands on, like I did my uh, ACE certification, like all the other certs. It's a piece of crap. It's a piece of paper. I knew all the stuff before <laughs> I even took the test. But got my foot in the door and the first job I could get was um like uh basically what's equivalent to a curves <laughs> it's called uh get in shape for women and it's like based out of Boston so it's like a local-ish thing up here but uh I realized real quick like the training was absolute crap but I loved working with the women like I really loved just like having the talks with them and like being like treating the gym more like a social community rather than just a we're here to work and then immediately after that, like six months after I got into, I got another job with um, where I spent the bulk of my career, which basically catered to all people over 40. So we were working with moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, that were all 40 plus. And that's where we learned how to train them correctly. We worked on the nutrition and I absolutely love that. And through the whole journey, like when I went out on my own, I couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do niche wise. And I was helping my mom with her fitness and her health. And I'm like, I kind of like this version of my mom. Like she's like got her spark. Like she's like this new improved version. I'm like, I'd love to do this for other people. So that's kind of how I stumbled into it. And I'm like, I, I was also looking at my TikTok following at the time because I was in that initial boom that got really popular really easily. And I was looking at all my followers. I'm like, there's a lot of 40 plus women here. Screw it. Let's do it. <laughs> So yeah, sometimes sometimes up. it's just that, right? It's like you, you we, we have this idea in our head of who is listening to our content and typically that person that we imagine is someone who's like ourselves because we speak, you know, we, we understand ourselves better than anyone else. And then you realize like, oh no, it's I, I, like the message is not resonating with people who are in my demographic. They're resonating with, the message is resonating with people in this other demographic. And and that's great. If the message works, then the message works. And I think it's such a common theme of this is like the way that you would coach a woman over 40 or a woman who's, you know, 32 or a man who's 67 is more or less like the framework is more or less the same. There's not like specific, unless you're going to tell me otherwise, but I don't think you are. <laughs> There's not like specific exercises that you would prescribe for a woman over 40 that you would not prescribe for, for someone else. 
but it's the way that you deliver the message and the way that I say it is going to be different than the way that you say it. And we're both saying the same things. We're just delivering it in a different way. And sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't, but as long as we're all getting it out there, then that's what, that's what matters, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'll be the first to tell you when it comes to like coaching guys, I'm probably not the best because like a lot of guys want the drill sergeant, like, all right, nut up or shut up, get it done. Let's go. And I'm just not that guy. I'm just like, all right, well, let's talk it out. Like what's going on? What are we, what are we working on? And it's like direct and compassionate, but it's a different message for different people. Like certain people respond to different types of coaches. So that's why I think with the women over 40, like, we have a really good back and forth going on. Whereas somebody who's really good at coaching guys would be totally different. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, there, we all have our little, our little way of doing things. And like, there's a, there's a necessary amount of, of tough love that is involved, but sometimes that can be too much. Some people need a lot of nurturing and a lot of like, it's okay. Try again tomorrow. And you know, yep. it's all right that you messed up and it's, it's okay. You can have a cookie today. And like, there's some people who need that. And then there's some people who need like, no, stop being a lazy ass and get your ass in the gym. And, and both, neither of those things are wrong. It's just mm-hmm. who you're talking to. And again, brings us back to that personal aspect of personal training, right? Exactly. You got to know who's in front of you. Exactly. So with, with the, the, the moms, what is, the typical goal that you see these clients are looking for? Yeah. Most times it's the fat loss goal. Like I do like a lot of my marketing go is around getting toned because as much as you see all the douchey trainers, like toned isn't a thing. Like, let's be honest. That's the language a lot of people use. And basically it comes down to burning body fat, gaining muscle and looking like there's some shape to them rather than like where they're at right now. So that's usually the goal. Like we'll get rid of body fat like first and then work on building muscle as like a strategy to keep the weight off and have a goal going forward. So this is actually a good, a good segue because I think there's, I see two different camps in this and especially with the female training, there's one side of people who who, um, specialize in female training who are very much of the side of you need to reverse diet first and you need to build muscle first and then we can worry about, you know, heal your metabolism, blah, 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 whatever magic words. And, Mm -hmm. and, and then, and then we can lose fat. And then there's the other side, more of what you said of, no, let's work on fat loss first and then we're going to build up muscle. And and those things happen at the same time to a degree. So why is your typical go-to strategy on losing fat first versus the build muscle first? Yeah. I mean, I think the majority of people usually don't have that type of an issue that a lot of the marketing ha- like is geared around saying like your metabolism's broken and all this other stuff, which some people do fall into that camp. Like I'll be totally honest. Like there are people that have yo-yo dieted and that have done these 1200 calorie diets, gone to these weight loss clinics that put them on poverty calories and just make their body adapt in a way where their metabolism is so slow and they're just, there's no habits supporting a healthy metabolism. And that's why like in my process, I have like two routes. There's like the one, like everybody starts in this first phase of discovery where we do everything by the book, as far as what should burn body fat, like get you into a healthy deficit, make sure we're working out X amount of times a week, get your steps in and see what happens. And then from that point, you can really tell like if they're being consistent and they're not getting results, it's like, okay, they probably need to reverse, which would be step two. 
But then if somebody's like seeing really good results, they're losing inches, they're getting stronger. It's like, boom, we'll just stay on that path. Why, why fix it if it ain't broken? Yeah, I absolutely love that. Like understanding, well, let's get the, let's get the big ducks. Let's get the big rocks moved first, not the ducks. We're not moving dead ducks. We're moving big rocks. I, I, might I guess you can that. move ducks. They're, they're big ducks from now on, not rocks. <laughs> well, let's move the big ducks and then <laughs> and then see what happens. Because for a lot of people, and, and this is almost like, sometimes I feel sad about this. Not sad. That's not the right word, but it's sad. I'll go with it, whatever. As a, as a coach where it's like, you know, we've learned so many things and we know so many ins and outs and nitty gritty little things about uh, metabolism and nutrition and physiology and all this stuff. And it's like, if you get the person to walk a little bit more, choose a salad instead of a cookie, you know, slightly more often, then that fixes like a lot of the, a lot of the issues. Right. And oh, then, yeah. so if, so if you can get those things done and it works, then, then great. No, no sense in changing the plan. But if it doesn't, that's a pretty good test of like, okay, we haven't lost weight. We haven't felt stronger. We haven't been sleeping better. Like none of the measurable things have improved. Therefore now we've got to maybe change the plan. Right. And I think that, yeah, so how how long do you do you usually give that process before you you determine in conjunction with your client whether or not the the plan is working or not? Yeah, so we work on like six week cycles. So we'll give it like a month and a half, and then re- look back and be like, all right, first off, let's see how consistent we've been. And then if it's like in that eighty percent mark, then it's like okay, that's reliable enough. And then we look at the measurements, the weight, and like other biomarkers, like how well they slept, like what their stress levels were like, how their mood was, and things like that in our weekly check-ins. And it's like, all right, now we have a really good picture of like what's going on. And then from that point, we look at it and say either this is working or this is not. And then we kind of make the call from there. Yeah, it's so important to actually track what's going on that way you actually know whether or not the intervention is working or not i'm sure that you've had many clients come to you and say like brian i i eat really healthy trust me i i eat super healthy i'm just like oh, not yeah. losing weight and it's like uh, okay you know i i want to trust you but show me right and then uh-huh. you see the you see the food log and it's you know mac and cheese and it's uh, mcdonald's and it's whatever all this stuff and you're like all right, maybe we have different definitions of what's healthy and what's not. And so maybe let's try this and then we'll see if it works, right? If you're not actually tracking what's going on, it's very, very difficult to know whether or not what you're doing is working. Absolutely. I love the people like, cause I do like a fix my diet assessments, like before we go into the coaching call or anything like that. And I just like seeing where they're, where they're at and they give me like the world best day. And then they sign up for coaching and then like, it's like that for the first like three, four days of the week. And then boom, Friday hits. And I'm like, there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I have a, a funny story on this one too, of just understanding of things. And this may be helpful for, for other coaches out there who are listening and just about being clear and concise with your instructions. Had a gentleman who I was training and he drank a, a lot of, uh, of pop per day. It was like three, four cans of, cans of pop per day. And so one of the first nutrition interventions we said was before we get into like too many other details, like let's try and cut this down. Like if we can go, I can't remember what we said, but whatever it was, it was less like two every other day, something like that, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And came back after the, after two weeks, he had lost like a ton of weight in two weeks. It was over 10 pounds in two weeks. And I said, great. Like you, you nailed it on the, on the, the pop and he sent me his food log in this food log every single day there was iced tea. And I was like, well, what, what happened, man? Like what you said that you stopped drinking it. And I mean, you still like lost a bunch of weight. And like, so I'm, I'm confused as to what happened here. He's like, oh, I, I, I didn't know that iced tea was a soft drink. And I was like, well, okay, 
fair, fair go. enough. I didn't specify that. Like that's <laughs> on me. And like I so I that so that's in addition to the to the Coca Cola and the whatever. But being specific with instructions is is so important because people have this idea of of what is healthy and what they should be doing, and that they they're not purposely doing things wrong, but they are doing things wrong. So we've got to you know build a framework to 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 work towards that. Exactly. Now, one thing that I want to get into before I continue to rant too much here is <laughs> no the 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 female population typically comes into training with a lot more myths around training and around nutrition. I want to kind of go through a few of those with you and, and I want you to dictate like what the most common ones are and then we're going to break them down. So what are some okay. of the most common myths that, that you see clients come to you with and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll break it down. Well, pretty much everything that I've seen going down the grocery aisle on those magazines as the uh, headers. That's like a really good tell. If you see it in the grocery store, like as you're checking out and you see it as a headline, chances are it's total bullshit. Um, but the big one, the big one I run into a lot, especially with the ladies when they're reverse dieting, whether we've hit their, um, their goal and we're trying to bring the metabolism up so they could live health, like a healthy life with being able to eat a bunch, or they fall into that camp that like needs their metabolism brought up because they've just done years and years of like low calorie and their body's adapted when they're on the reverse diet, they're always kind of scared of getting bulky. And it's a legit fear for a lot of, a lot of the ladies, not for the sake that it's all muscle, but because of mentally how it's going to feel. And it really comes down to like, when people are scared of getting bulky, I always tell them, I'm like, there are teenage boys pumped with testosterone lifting as heavy as they can, as many reps as they can sleeping, like, like hibernating bears. They're doing pretty much everything they should be doing to gain muscle and they still can't. Now you're a woman who is like, some of them are in menopause and they're like, I'm scared of getting bulky. I'm like, you have life working in your favor because the chances <laughs> of you building muscle are very, very slim, but that doesn't mean we can't build like good muscle in a way where it's not bulky, but it's going to make you feel a lot better and have a much better quality of life. Yeah, the 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 analogy that I usually go to rather than the teenage boys is like the there are guys who are like 30 years old who are destroying their bodies with steroids and they are still not that big. So like it's going to be it's going to be okay. But I mean, yeah. I think people people know this, right? It's another one of these things where, you know, you know the healthy food option. People know this, but they have to kind of figure that out for themselves. So how have you gone about um, you know, the next step after you kind of explain that physiology to, to the client, how do you help mm -hmm. them actually learn this and internalize it for themselves? Yeah. One of the big things is just teaching them to rely on data over their feelings week to week because, or day to day, because emotions are going to go up. They're going to come down. Like it's just a, a wave go it's unpredictable so what i do is like i'm like listen if you really are genuinely concerned look at your measurements not the weight on the scale but like your actual body measurements and then even if their weight because i've seen like with the ladies i've worked with like they'll lose a lot of weight and then we'll hit it and then we'll do a reverse diet and the weight comes right back up but their inches don't change Mm. And that keeps them mentally in it because they're like, okay, this isn't fat that is getting added on. So mentally, it's a little bit more satisfying when you look at the inches rather than just the weight. 
so valuable to have multiple methods of measurement because the scale is good. It's easy. It's convenient. It's, you know, reliable, but it doesn't tell us everything, right? When you're trying to lose weight, yeah, yeah. you want that number to be coming down. But if your waist is shrinking and your weight is not changing, well, you can be pretty confident that that is fat loss coupled with muscle gain. Like if you lose a pound yeah. of muscle, but gain a pound of fat, the scale is not going to change. But if your waist shrunk by half an inch, well, that's a really good thing. And that's more or less what you want. Nobody, you're not like we're walking around with a, you know, our weight stapled to our forehead that everyone can see. No one actually knows. It's just, it's, you know, that and getting over that is probably, uh, is one of the tougher things, but the bulky yeah. look is really hard to come by. And I think that a lot of women, when they realize that, Oh, I have added muscle, I have added strength and I, I don't actually look bulky. And so having that happen and they're like, all right, it happened. I added muscle. I don't look bulky. Therefore, good thing and we can continue right <laughs> exactly exactly and it does help the new the new lifters too like when you hit that newbie gains point where a lot of people get really frustrated they start their first week and they're like i'm exercising i'm eating right and i haven't lost a pound and you're like as a trainer like working with people you're like this is awesome you're burning a lot of body fat and building muscle at the exact same time, but they don't know that because they haven't taken the body measurements or anything. It's like that classic case of my clothes fit better, but I'm not seeing it on the scale. It's like, well, you're burning body fat. Now, do you want an arbitrary number or do you want to burn body fat? Yeah, exactly. You want to look, do you want to look better in the dress or do you want to have a smaller number on the scale that nobody else will see except for you? Like which, which one is it? Right. But again, it's these things and bringing them to attention, I think is such a huge value of the coach because we think about this all day long. This is the only thing that we think about more or less. And then other people just, they think about that number on the scale and they've got to go to work and they've got to go to other things. But if that number in the scale is not the right one, quote unquote, then it's going to ruin, it's just going to ruin your day and ruin your week and all that stuff. So we have to bring this to attention. We're like, okay, these are the measurements. This is what they mean. This is why we take them. This is what's happening. And that's why it's good. Exactly. What's the, what's another big myth then that you see? Uh, another big myth I would say is like the fact that they have to work out hardcore high intensity interval training, like seven days a week, because to be honest, like when I was like early in my career, I didn't really appreciate the hormonal effect of, of exercise, but when we're talking about putting yourself in a prime position to burn body fat in the places that you want to, the hormones got to be in the right place. And one way to wreck them completely and put yourself in a horrible environment, a horrible state hormonally for fat loss is to work out hardcore every single day. Because when it comes to the balance of stress and recovery, that stress is way too high for you to recover from. And if you're just beating your body up over and over and over again, like logically, you know, that's not going to get you results. Another very common thing with this, and I was literally having this conversation with a, with a buddy this morning is that this crowd who has been convinced or fallen into this, this trap of the seven days a week, super high intensity workouts is very commonly the the type of person who is eating a super low calorie diet, seven, eight hundred calories, no carbs at all, like a, a small chicken salad for lunch per day and you know three almonds for dinner. And those two things, a super high intensity exercise coupled with the minimal calories and, and no carbohydrates, that is the perfect disaster to <laughs> to ruin your hormones and not get the results that you want. And this is where the oh, I need to eat more so that I can lose weight kind of thing comes back in. And so you destroy your metabolism so much that like 
you're eating so little, but you're still not in a deficit. So understanding that yeah. like, you have to be able to recover from your exercise to be able to have some actual results. Exactly. And then like the other thing that we want to take into account is the overall amount of calories that you're burning throughout the day. Like if you're killing yourself in the gym, if you've ever seen like the breakdown of how many calories like you burn for each thing, like your basal metabolic rate, your non-exercise activity, thermic, thermic effect of food and um, exercise activity, exercise activity is like the smallest sliver. And what happens is when you do ex when you exercise past a certain point, it slows you down the rest of the day. So the big chunk that is the non-exercise activity, the NEAT, gets smaller. So now you're burning less calories with the big chunk that does the most of the work. So it really comes down to doing the right amount of exercise, not the most. Do you mean to say that if my Apple Watch says I burned 7,000 calories during a 45-minute workout, it's lying to me? Is that what you're saying, Brian? Oh, do we want to go down this rabbit hole? Let's <laughs> do, let's do it. Do we want to? All right. <laughs> Fun fact for everybody listening right now. Not, they ha, they actually put all these trackers to the test at Stanford. There was a study done like, I want to say five, 10 years ago. And they yeah. found that some of the more mainstream trackers, like the watches and the straps around your chest, some of them had an error rate of up to 92% on calories burned. Uh, it's like, it's a great idea, but let's be honest, the technology is not there yet. It just isn't. And the only thing that actually follows like what the actual scientists do in the lab to measure how many calories you burn is this thing called the lumen, because you literally like to get an accurate amount of like energy that you are putting out, you need to breathe into a tube like really hard. And that's how they understand how much you're putting out based on what you're breathing out. There's no way that a strap or a watch can tell. Yeah, absolutely agree. You nailed that description. I've, I've seen that same study as well. That that number, the first time I saw it, I knew it was off. I would see people posting a, you know, a thing, a screenshot of their watch or their whatever, and it was like a thousand calories. I'm like, that just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And then that study comes out like 90 plus percent. I'm like, yeah, well, okay, now, now we're talking about something. Yeah. And then even still, like even if it did do that, if you were really burning as many calories as you thought you were in that in that workout, then you go and have like a smoothie thing that's you know twelve hundred calories just in the smoothie. Well, you kind of just undid it there, anyways. But but that yeah. coupled with like the it doesn't really matter how many extra how many calories you burn from exercise, anyways. Like the point of exercise is not to burn calories. The point of exercise is to train your muscles, train your train your heart, your cardiovascular system, and I think that's the thing that people. That's a very common misconception across all populations is that the point of exercise is not calorie burning. Calorie burning is just a side effect of exercise. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the whole like sweating is it's literally just a byproduct. It's not a goal. <laughs> but if I know that like they're without fail, like when I bring this up and like, I'm sure like when you bring it up too, there are always those people in the audience that are like, how much do they really know? I mean, they're not scientists. If you guys want to dive more deep into this, there was an incredible book put out by Herman Ponser called burn and he's like uh, he literally went to like third world countries with like these hunter-gatherer societies that are somehow still out there and measured how many calories they burn compared to how many calories we burn and guess what we're basically neck and neck we're about the same because our bodies are really good at conserving energy it's just the way it is yeah that's interesting i, I hadn't i hadn't heard of um heard of that comparison before, but I, I would have guessed that they would 
I mean, maybe it's maybe it's maybe the way that I'm thinking of it is actually in the reverse effect that they move so much and do so much activity that their body is so good at conserving energy and they're more used to it because they've been doing it their whole life that it requires less caloric expenditure to get the same output versus for us if we tried to do what they did we would be first of all we wouldn't be able to but but yeah. second we would have a an extremely high calorie burn on that day that you walked you know 37,000 steps and ran for 6 hours like that would be that would be unreasonable for us so yeah. that makes a lot of sense but super interesting yeah i mean it just proves our bodies are really good at conserving energy because you know what they're not doing when they're not out hunting when they're not out gathering stuff they're sitting on their ass. Like they're literally just like around a fire or they're like laying down, like, because that you only have so much energy to give every single day. That's like when you see like these, I love the uh, survivor shows like naked and afraid and alone because it's the same thing there. They spend almost all of their calories daily putting together their shelter or going out to fish, going out to hunt. And the rest of the day they are dead. They're just sleeping the entire time. And, and that's, this is actually a good, segue into into two things which doesn't make sense as a segue but we're going to go in two directions here so one is i've really been coming around to this concept of can we outwork our diet i think that to an extent it is true that you can't you know eat like uh, everything that you want and totally junk food and whatever but if you can increase your movement by just a little bit a lot of us are not in that much of a surplus normally that if you can increase your movement by a, a bit of a walk that is like an extra 300 calories let's say you can then uh like you're offsetting your your surplus and so you're going to be at maintenance or you might even be in a deficit what do you think of, i'm not even totally sold on this idea myself but what do you think of that yeah, I mean, there is validity to it because at the end of the day, when like when you look at these uh, like these online calorie calculators and like what they calculate in these studies to try and determine what people's t- total daily energy expenditure is and all that stuff, an intensity factor is factored in based on how active people are. So there absolutely is something to be said. Like the people that are sitting on their butts all day at at the computer drive home, sit on their couch and do nothing are not burning the same amount of calories as a construction worker. So there is a little bit of wiggle room. So you can raise your metabolic rate to the point where you can handle more food than somebody else. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly where I was going with it. I think that a lot of us really struggle to eat less and less and less. And because some people, you know, as we kind of poked fun at earlier where it's like, oh, I really eat healthy. And it's like, all right, sure you do. Some people really do eat really healthy and really do not eat that much food, but they actually just move so little without realizing it. They just move so little that they, that the small amount of food that they're eating is still making them gain weight. And so I think that this push to maybe it's an, it's a positive aspect of, of we can add movement rather than take away food might be the direction to go for some people. Yeah. And honestly, I use it as like a plateau busting strategy. Like I literally on my podcast, I literally just did one on plateaus. And one of the easiest ways when you hit a true plateau, like three, four weeks, your weight hasn't budged, inches haven't budged. One of the first things you could do is add more steps in or add one more day of a workout or like make sure that you're doing like one more day of chores around the house, like just some incremental increase that'll help you burn a little bit more calories. And then if that doesn't work, if you are, if you can handle it and it's doable and it's sustainable and it's not going to make you binge, then you can decrease calories. 
yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like decreasing calories is, I don't want to say the last <laughs> resort, but like it to, to some, it should be. Yeah. Like to some, to some, I'm trying to think of a, like a lesser resort, lesser thing that you would add in, but like, you don't want to decrease calories too long because that's kind of like the, it's going to work assuming everything is healthy, but it's like the hardest and most annoying <laughs> thing to thing to actually do and the hardest thing to stick to. So if you can make these little tweaks to increase your calorie burn, which is going to increase the deficit, then I think it's a lot easier than just constantly taking away food. And that's an idea that I'm really, really coming around to a lot. Now, the other thing that I wanted to get into that second Avenue, we were talking about the hunter gatherers. Did you read the book, uh, born to run? I forget the name of the author, but did you read that book? No, but I've heard a lot about it. Okay. The only reason I, I read it a long time ago and I, and I didn't know whether you did or didn't and you didn't have had to, but I know that you also are into barefoot shoes and you wear barefoot shoes. And so that's why I thought that you may have, may have read that book. Cause that was my first, that book was my first introduction to like, Oh my God, we don't have to wear these like shoes. Why yeah. are you, why are you wearing barefoot style shoes? I mean, let, to be honest, there's no getting around the fact that like when you're lifting heavy stuff, you want to be as stable as possible. And the closer you are to the actual floor is the more stable you're going to be. If you're standing on a slab of foam, then you're making all these micro adjustments and it's like standing on pillows. It's probably not going to be the best case scenario. And when it does come to the way shoes are made, they're made for aesthetics. They're not made for performance. They're not made to fit our feet as is. And over time, I, I mean, it's funny because me and my girlfriend get in debates over this because she's she's in her uh, medical residency right now and she like is working in tandem with like uh, podiatrists uh, and they're and I like run ideas by them and like I'm convinced you can contour your foot in the same way that like back in the day like in France with those corsets that were super tight like in China where they had like their feet that were binded like you can pretty you can definitely contour your feet from wearing the wrong footwear and i think when you do that it can it can create an environment for dysfunction and then when your feet at the base level are not doing what they're supposed to do it's only a matter of time before shit rolls upstream like into your knees your hips your back even your shoulders i mean if we're talking like cross body patterns if your left foot is screwed it could go all the way up to your right shoulder 100% man. It's, it's, it's actually an interesting thing. Cause I, uh, there was a girl I knew who was in a podiatry school or one of the foot specialty things. And, uh, she was, she was giving me shit about wearing the barefoot shoes. Like, Oh, that's so dumb. They don't, they don't like, they don't support your foot. They don't do all this thing. She said, let me see the bottom of your shoe looking for like the wear pattern on the, on the bottom of the shoe. Sure enough. It's like perfect. Like it's fine. She's like, Oh, this doesn't make any sense. And she like starts looking at my foot as like, Oh, like your arch is good. Like your toe flexibility, like all these things are good. Like, how is this possible? I'm like, well, sorry. I don't, I don't want to say that. Well, I'm like, you know, I know I, all the secrets, but like my yeah. feet work, like feet are supposed to, they're not put into a cast and you can see people's feet. If you look at people get weird about looking at feet and whatever, but like you can see the shape of someone's foot has been shaped. If your toes are like really pointed or whatever, they've, they've conformed to your feet. Even just the fact that bunions like, exist it's mostly because of our shoes yeah yeah and it's kind of an accepted reality because like one thing that i've learned like from dating a doctor for the past like going on three years is that when it comes to general population 
they're doing the right thing. Like doing these insoles and these supported shoes for the majority of people is the right call because the majority of people will not do what you tell them to do unless it's really freaking easy. Like slide this into your shoe, boom, done. Take this pill, boom, done. Because it really matters about the efficacy of it. Like is somebody actually going to do what we're telling them? And if they don't do what we're telling them, is it okay to just say, well, your fault, screw you, you're not listening to me? No, we want to do what's best. So when it comes to like footwear, there are people that like mechanically do need that stuff. Like they were, we're not all born perfect, even though for some reason, like there's a section of the fitness community that's convinced we're all perfect beings. We're never going to get sick. We're never, everything is in nature that we need and it's a lot of shit. But when it comes down to our feet, like some people do need that insole. They do need that like support because at this point their feet are so far gone that they do need that. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the big caveat there is that we have to assess where we actually are now in order to get to whatever the end stage that we want to get to. So like myself, I'm very much like, yeah, we should all be in the barefoot style shoes. If you, if you, when you in situations where you have to wear shoes and otherwise like, you know, just be barefoot. But I also realized that like, I don't, like that's not a good strategy going from what you're currently at. If your feet are all mangled to just going into that and then going for like a 30 minute run, like that is a very fast way to get injured. And I was guilty of that. When I first read that book, that born to run, I was like, Oh fuck the shoes. I don't need yeah. this. I started running on my treadmill with, with no shoes on at all, just like totally barefoot. And like, what do you know? In a couple of weeks I had a stress fracture in my foot and I was like, all right, check lesson learned. Like there's a better way to go about this. Right. And yeah. so it's meeting, meeting people where they're at and then, giving steps as to, well, where do you want to actually get to? And how do we, like, what are the steps to get there? Because going from nothing to everything is not really a, a, a good way to go about stuff. Yeah. If Born to Run was good for anything, it was introducing to a lot of people about the idea of graded exposure. Even though the book doesn't really go into it, like yeah. <laughs> by experience, when people are like, ditch the shoes, let's go run. And they get hurt and they're like, what the hell? What happened? Like at the end of the day, like you were saying, you got to know where you're at and you got to know what that next step is. And it's usually not diving in the deep end. You need to like, for like, let's say somebody's listening to this right now and they have those really thick, like those sketcher ones that Joe Montana pr promotes. Like <laughs> yeah. instead of going like straight to like a Vivo barefoot or like the toe ones, like instead of going right to that, find one that's got a little less, um, a little less foam and then find like wear those out. And until they're like, you're putting holes in them and then find that next shoe go a little bit thinner and now we're at like a chuck taylor and then from that point we're pretty much good to go yeah yeah i agree it's there's steps to everything and i think the the all or nothing mentality is very prevalent just in fitness right people probably come to you i'm sure and they're like i have haven't worked out in uh i haven't worked out since high school and i'm you know 43 now i've had two kids and i want to get back in shape i want to hit the gym six days a week and you're like uh, yep. hold on a second like maybe six days a week is like probably not like the thing you you want to go to so so how do you then like when you have these scenarios what are your strategies for like reining that person back in and explaining to them like how to go about doing this graded exposure for for exercise yeah well i'll start by saying this i much rather that than trying to get somebody going <laughs> like oh, yeah. somebody who like <laughs> really struggles just to like do the work so out of those two options, I love these type of people to work with, like where they're like very gung ho. And it really just comes down to like challenging them a little bit and being like, listen, like, I know this is what's best for you. And I know you're not like a hundred percent there yet, like bought in, but 
would you be against like doing like a challenge? Like, and more times than not, those gung ho people hear challenge and they're like, what? <laughs> and <laughs> I'll say like, why don't we run it? We'll do four times a week and we'll just see how your body feels. Like, I want you to write down like, or they do it in their weekly check-in, but we're going to look at your metrics like three, four weeks from now and see if they improve. And if they do, this is what's best for you. It might not be what you want, but it is what you need. And then we could have that discussion later. And then kind of just by experience, they're like, oh, did not know this is how, how good I could feel. Yeah, it is definitely easier to work with people who like to rein people back in than it is to like light a fire under someone's ass. But, uh, but, but I think, I think the key there is protecting people from themselves. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with working out six days a week. It's fine, but you can't just be putting in like a thousand percent effort six days a week if you haven't been, been doing that. And so you don't want to like discourage it if it's happening, but it's like, this is the role of the coach to be like, all right, you want to do that fine, but like, this is how we're going to do it. And this is why we're going to do it so that you don't injure yourself. And so you get the best results possible. And also a little bit of like that minimum effective dose idea where, you know, there may be a time where your weight loss stalls and we need to kick it up a notch. If we're already exercising six days a week, is adding a seventh day really something that we want to do? Maybe not. But if you're only, if you're working out four days a week and things have been going well and you want to kick it up, well, you can add a fifth day. You have room for that, right? Yeah. It's like the old bodybuilder method. Like you hear a lot of bodybuilders talk about how they refuse to do cardio until it's absolutely necessary because they want that in their tool belt when they plateau, because if they're about to go get on stage in front of a bunch of people and nothing more than a banana hammock, like they want to look their best. And if a month out things stall and they've been doing hours and hours of cardio and their calories are super duper low, where the hell do you go from there? Add more cardio. (laughs) Like, But if you're at a point where you haven't done any and you introduce that, you get a pronounced effect because now you have that novel stimulus along with the fact that your body's going to kick it up a notch to adapt to it. Absolutely. The the, the cardio aspect there is is a huge one. I think that the only thing that's different really, not the only thing, there's lots of things that are different about like the bodybuilding community and the regular people community is that bodybuilders are doing this like for a purpose. Like they may be not doing cardio because that it's because it's burning calories, even though that's not the actual point of cardio. Whereas a regular person is, should be doing some element of cardio and and not be afraid of it because it's burning calories and, and really not pay that much attention to the fact that it's burning calories. Rather you want your heart and your, just your general (laughs) circulatory system to be healthy, how much cardio do you do? You tip, of course, this you know individual basis and, and all that stuff. But like, what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on cardio, and how do you like work that into your programming? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, I when I started my doing coaching, like I was all in on the bodybuilding train. Like I've done men's physique and stuff, so I had that mentality going into that. Like we're not going to do cardio until it's absolutely necessary. But then you get older, you get wiser, and you're like you start doing cardio in your own program and you're like, I feel like a million bucks crap. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're like, all right, there's some benefits here. So, um, the, the one thing that I try and get a lot of my clients to do is increase their amount of zone two cardio. So for anybody who's not familiar, uh, familiar with zone two cardio, that's like that threshold between like where you can have a conversation and where you have to like take a breath and you're like, (sighs) anyway, like before you get to that point, or like if you're able to breathe through your nose comfortably, you don't have a deviated septum like me, then breathing through your nose is a good way to gauge it too. Like if you have to open up your mouth, then you're probably out of zone two. But doing 
around two hours of that per week is ideal. So I'll have my clients like they'll do, I want them to do two to four days of strength. And then on their off days, do zone two cardio, do mobility days, or do what we call trigger workouts, which is a hundred percent stolen from mind pump because like they gave, they put a, uh, podcast out and they were talking about it. I'm like, damn, that's good. Totally going to take that. So just these off day modalities of doing something to get your heart rate up is extremely beneficial. But as far as cardio is concerned, zone two is like what I usually push people towards unless I have a couple of women that are runners. So we'll try and like periodize what they're doing so that they don't burn themselves out like most runners do. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the on adding the zone two in as more of like a requirement and then like working towards some type of sprinting or like zone five work. I, I kind of equate that in lifting to like I'm not having a new client do one RM back squats. Like so why would I have them do, you know, one RM sprints essentially? It doesn't really exactly. make a lot of sense, but everyone should be doing the zone two and it doesn't really impede recovery. It's something you can do, you know, while you're on the phone or answering emails or something like that. So it doesn't feel like you're spending so much time because you can still be productive at other stuff while you're doing it. Um, but what, what are the, the trigger workouts to, from the mind pump? I've, I haven't heard of those. What, what are they? Yeah. So basically those are like really light bands or really light weights and you do like pump style workouts where you do okay. like 15, 20 reps and you get a lot of blood flow in there. You feel your muscles like actually working and you feel your t- shirt getting a little tighter and you're like, all right, this is nice, but it's not fatiguing. So it's like, you're getting that, that, um, increase in blood flow, which is going to help recovery out a little bit more. And then you're also checking the box off for staying active. And it's a really good way to just recover extra between days. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I hadn't heard of them referred to as the the trigger workouts, if that's the the mind pump uh, yeah, word. That's but, where I uh, came across them. They're probably as everything in the fitness space goes. Everybody's got a different name for everything, so it's probably out there with five yeah. other people. <laughs> yeah, like everything has been, everything has been just recycled in some ways, and things come up like the keto diet. We've seen this. We've seen several iterations of this, like in the past and there will be a new iteration of it in like another five to seven years called some other fancy something or other. And like, and, and it's fine. It's just the way we package it. But then like, okay, what actually is it? Like what's actually happening here? Is this just another fad or, or is anything like that? Yeah. On that topic, actually, are there any like common fads or things that are like hot right now amongst your demographic that you're like really trying to get, like get, get against or fight against or, or just work around? Is there anything like that that's popping off right now? Yeah. Like I used to get really like very combative a little bit when it comes to certain, certain ways of doing diets like keto or Octavia is another big one right now. And it is easy to attack those things and say they're horrible. They're horrible, but they are a really good tell of if somebody is a really good worker. So mm-hmm. like we almost change the frame a little bit from like, yeah, these, these approaches for most people are not ideal. Like, there's always going to be somebody that has success on keto, on Weight Watchers, on Octavia. But at the end of the day, most of those diets let the majority of people down. So you kind of got like we come at it from a perspective of like, all right, I get what I get what the intent here was. And it's really, really good that you're trying. But it's let's just call spade a spade. This isn't working for you. So, and it, it does take a little bit of experience. Like a lot of people like myself, I'm stubborn as shit. Like I need to do things before I'm like, okay, yeah, it doesn't work. So a lot of people fall into that category where it's like, they just got to give it a go. 
and then they realize it absolutely sucks. So Octavia and Keto are like the two big ones that I find myself having the most conversations around. What is Octavia? Octavia is this like, it's like a meal prep slash diet system company. It's kind of like Nutrisystem in a, in a respect. And, and basically what they do is like, they put these people on super low calorie diets and they reward them with food called like refuelings or refeedings. And I'm not even sure how the entire system works. All I know is that they get like one or two lean and green meals that are probably like 400 calories at most. And then they have nothing but bars and shakes. So people come out of it with like in a metabolically worse position and they're putting on a bunch of body fat now that they have no system to like come off of it. And that's the other thing I I run into a lot too, talking to people like from Weight Watchers or Atkins or all these other ones all of these systems really have no way of weaning you off. There's nothing that allows you to keep your results because they don't want you to keep your results. Otherwise you stop paying them. So yeah. that's where the, the big conversation comes in. The diet after the diet is equally, if not more important than the thing. Like there are so many ways to create a deficit to lose weight. And, and not that like, I think most of them are not, inherently dangerous like something that is crazy low calories basically not actual food but more like bars and shakes and stuff like that like i'm i would be way more hesitant to even give someone the okay to to try that one there would have to be some whatever depend on them but i wouldn't really like be okay with that but if someone's like hey like i really want to do keto i'm like okay like I wouldn't suggest it for the long term, but if you think it's going to work for you, like it's not going to, it's not going to harm you. So let's give it a go. If it's working and, and you find it helpful and whatever, then, then, okay, great. Like let's, let's roll with it. And if, and if it's not working, then let's just be honest that it's not working. And what are all the drawbacks that are happening in your individual life? And then we'll, you know, we'll work backwards from that and find something that does work. Right. Yeah. I think it just comes down to like, they're on different scales, like middle of the road, like that'll work for some people that realistically could work are like stuff like keto stuff, like Mediterranean diet and all that stuff. And then we get into that unhealthy zone where it's like the carnivore diets or the vegan diets for weight loss. Like that's where people really go into that zone of like, this could potentially really harm your health. Yeah. Yeah, anything that's overly restrictive and you have to realize it, just look at it from the from the beginning of like is this something that I could reasonably even do closely? Like if you if you want to do carnivore or vegan, it's like you're really never going to have like meat or, or vegetable like ever again. Like it's your you know, your diet doesn't have to be forever. Like I'm also of the mind that, you know, get in your diet, get in your deficit, lose the fat and then get out. Like it doesn't need to take longer than it needs to take. You don't need to be losing weight for six years. Like exactly. if it only takes three months, it only takes three months and then get to maintenance. That's the goal. But like it has to resemble somewhat of a realistic scenario. Otherwise, like there's no chance that you're going to be able to maintain those results. And so are you really going to be able to eat 700 calories of just shakes and bars every day? Like like probably not. And and if, if society is headed that way, then like, then count me out. If we're done with regular food and we're just in supplements and potions and stuff, then like I have, I want no part of that. I'll go live in the forest and find my own food. More for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If it, if it, if it comes to that, but yeah, let's hope it doesn't come to that. I think we're still, I think we're still, uh, still a ways, uh, away from, from that, but things are changing quickly. AI is coming into the picture like a lot um that's not a rabbit hole i I think we want to 
go yeah. down, but it's just something that's t- that's top of mind. We probably don't don't have time uh, for for that today. But yeah. after um, my most any- uh, recent con- con- uh, conference where Tom Billu talked about it and basically scared the entire room, I'm just kind of like willfully ignorant about AI unless it helps me out. <laughs> Yeah, that's that is certainly one way to to go about it, right? It's like you can't stop the train, so worrying about it is not really going to help you. Maybe yeah. find some ways to like make it benefit your life, and then hopefully, you know, by the time the AI overlords take over, you know, we're not here anymore. So that's something <laughs> that for our grandkids, grandkids to worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a later problem, much yeah. later. Are there any other myths that you think you want to go over today? Is there anything that's like glaring that uh, that you think that we've missed today or that deserves some some time before we wrap things up? Yeah, the only one that really comes to mind is like I was uh, who's was it? I think it, yeah, it was uh, Gabrielle Lyon put up a uh, snippet from her podcast and it got a lot of a lot of traction and. I've seen this in multiple different variations over the years where they'll get some sort of a surgeon on the podcast and they'll talk about how a certain exercise is horrible across the board for everybody. And it's usually deadlifts like Robert Oberst on Joe Rogan. Like the guy literally made his profession deadlifting and he's telling people that it's bad. Like when you hear like these general statements that say, for everybody or universally or like never good like it it's a load of shit because no evidence-based person talks like that <laughs> like when exactly. you hear the scientists and the true experts they're like well it may be it's probably like they're the most wishy-washy annoying people to talk to <laughs> like if you hear somebody talking really directly and absolutes even though it's easy on the ears it's usually a load of crap so in that regard, when it comes to like certain exercises, there's no specific exercise every single person needs to avoid completely. It all comes down to what is right for you anatomically and what is right for you from a load perspective and a volume perspective. Because if you have those three things, you have the right variation, you have the right amount of weight, and you have the right amount of overall volume, you can pretty much do whatever movement pattern you want, press, pull, hinge, squat, carry rotational core any of that stuff i would only add to that uh, a component of skill as well yeah. where some of the more advanced exercises do require some skill acquisition and not even that like a deadlift is super advanced but like probably wouldn't have a day one beginner deadlifting with a barbell right we'd probably do some type of you know maybe using a dowel or a rack pull of some sort or a dumbbell rdl whatever it is but like yeah you know you're definitely not having a a, a beginner like overhead snatch like that's not happening like i'm no. not even doing that so it's like there's there's some skill acquisition that that adds into these things but yeah i'm with you i'm pretty sure i've seen the the clip that you're that you're referencing there but like any of these absolute statements they do great on social media yeah like i've i've you know taken a couple of clips from podcasts where it's like it's taken out of context and it's me saying something that is like doesn't include the rest of the nuance and it's like all right that, that clip does better and it makes me feel like shit but it gets more attention and whatever so that's yeah. the point but these 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 types of statements really gather attention because they're thoughtless, right? If, oh, he said never do deadlifts, and he has a doctor beside his name. Oh, he must be. Uh, I guess I'll never do deadlifts again, and it just feeds into like your own bias, right? If you already hated deadlifts, now this guy is saying don't do deadlifts, and it's like, all right, well now I'm justified, right? But if yeah. you and then on the other side of it, if you love deadlifts and you see this, you're like, well, fuck that guy. Like I love deadlifts. He's wrong. I've been doing deadlifts forever, and my back is great. So it just invokes emotion, and you can tell how fast yeah. I'm talking right now. But this is this is just one of those things to like we gotta we gotta sift through the sift through the weeds when when scrolling 
Yeah, it's like that line of thinking when like people thought drinking a glass of wine every night was healthy. It's like all the wine drinkers are like, <laughs> yeah, it's healthy for me. And then all the normal people that know alcohol is not good for you are like, you sure about that? You sure about that? <laughs> yeah. In today's day, like you can science anything. You can find a piece of evidence to support pretty much anything that you want. And all of that needs to be just layered underneath common sense. Does it make sense that drinking alcohol is healthy? No. So therefore, it's not. Does it make sense that a deadlift and exercise that's been around for forever and that people do every day in their day-to-day life is terrible for every single human being? No, it doesn't make sense. So yeah. therefore, like it's probably not that black and white. And at the same time, if you do want to do those things, it doesn't make you a bad person. Like for some reason, this morality gets attached to it. Like if you drink alcohol, you're a piece of shit. Or like if you like <laughs> lifting heavy instead of doing functional movements, you don't care about your health. You're, you're lousy. Like, and it just get, goes off into these like weird this weird space of morality around exercises or around nutrition where people like fall into these camps and think the other is horrible. It's like, pick your preference, do what's best for you. And that's all that matters. Very well said. Couldn't, couldn't have said that any better myself. I, I, I love that. I don't, I don't like the, everyone in trainer, everyone who's a trainer and everyone in fitness, like we are trying so hard to get more people involved in movement and, and involved in the gym. And then us getting in fights with each other about stuff that doesn't matter. Like, oh, I like to sumo deadlift or I like to conventional deadlift. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, I just want more people to be deadlifting or more people to be moving in general. So, like, us fighting against each other is not the fight. Like, we are fighting against all of the other external factors in the world that are keeping people or preventing people from being healthy. And so, like, the more that we can just collaborate and not put each other into these weird camps arguing over stuff that, like, only matters for, like, a 0.01% of people... The, the better off we're all going to be. Yeah. Cause I think those things are usually just a collection of insecure people trying to like prove that they know more than the other person because they probably suck at their business anyway. But I think one of the glaring things are like what we learned at rate the bar, like those stats that they put up were just scary. Like over 50% yeah. of the population by 2030 is going to be obese. Two thirds are going to be overweight. We're failing right now. And that's just the sad fact of it. The mo- we need to make everything more accessible. We need to make it more digestible and more scalable for everybody. Because if we can make people healthier and we can get people into a better place, they're going to be better for their families. They're going to be better for society as a whole. Like, and they're going to be making better decisions. So, I mean, if we can do that, we're going to be in a much better place. Mic drop. Bang. I think that that's a beautiful place to leave this, Brian. Where can people find you and learn more about uh, everything you've got going on? What's all your contact info? I'll throw it in the show notes, but uh, rattle it off here. Yeah. So pretty much every social media is uh, at coach underscore fits with two Z's, F-I-T-Z-Z. Even YouTube now does that, I guess. So yeah, that's an easy way to find it. But also um, I got a Facebook group, the Fit40 family and a podcast, the Fit40 podcast. Beauty. I'll put that in the show notes. Coach underscore fits with two Z's or two Z's for my fellow Canadians. Uh, <laughs> Fit <you> 40. Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> we, you guys always got to make stuff difficult. That's right. Fit 40 podcast, Fit 40 Facebook group. Check it out everywhere. Everything will be in the show notes. Brian, is there anything, any last message that you want to leave the people with here in closing? Yeah. Just what I've been telling, telling the clients, telling the podcast listeners better beats perfect. Don't try and be perfect. It's a short-term strategy. Just focus on getting better and better each day. 
Beautiful. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you, man. Please uh, give Brian a follow on everywhere and plug into everything that he's got going on. Give the podcast a rating and review and share it with someone else who's going to find this helpful or useful in some way. Give me a follow as well on Instagram and all the places. Um, And that's that. Go outside. Be a good person. We'll see you soon.